Welcome to Hosting HR with me, Leon Morley, founder of HR Recruitment Solutions, a recruitment partner exclusively for HR professionals. The Hosting HR podcast brings audio recordings of live shows with HR gurus and experts from around the world. These shows were originally broadcasted via YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn. Our live audience have the chance to ask questions directly to our expert panels and therefore each show is organic, unknown and raw, just how we like it. The shows are designed to challenge a HR professional's thinking, progress the HR profession and have a little fun and laughter along the way too. So stay tuned as HR Recruitment Solutions begins hosting HR. Hello and welcome to Hosting HR with me, Leon Morley, founder of HR Recruitment Solutions. We're currently live across LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube. And you can let us know your thoughts about what our panelists have to say today and get your questions across to us on those platforms too. Also, drop us a like, share, subscribe, anything to help the community would be absolutely fantastic. Um, Today, we're going to be discussing um, what HR gets wrong might be slightly uncomfortable at times for us, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of learning opportunities throughout the show. And so I suppose what we should do now is is let's do some introductions. So um, Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure, Um, I'm Patrick, Um, I'm an HR professional since 1997. And um, I discovered uh, during my career that in HR, there was a lot of bad practices, pseudoscience, etc. cetera. Uh, so um, that's when I turned to science. And um, because I'm a member of the skeptic community internationally, I uh, also um, developed uh, critical thinking towards HR. So uh, gave a TED talk, wrote a book about it, several books, etc. So... All right. Is that enough yeah. as an introduction? Yeah, that, that's yeah. absolutely perfect. Yeah. And, and obviously what we'll do is we'll share this information. So uh, if you're on uh, watching this on YouTube or afterwards, uh, a lot of these links will be available and also on the podcast platforms as well. So if you want to find out more about Patrick and some of the work that he's been doing, it'll all be there. And the same also for Helena and Heiko as well. So um, Helena, would you like to go next? Yes. Thanks, Leon. Um, right, my name is Helena Bosky and I'm a psychologist specializing in applied neuroscience in the workplace particularly, but neuroscience applies to all of us because we all have a brain. Um, I've worked in HR um, many years ago, and uh, then I really started um, going to neuroscience to answer questions as to why certain things were and weren't working. And now neuroscience is my great love, but also how it applies into the workplace and how we can help busy people get the best out of themselves, understanding the human brain as the first port of call. Fab, thank you, thank you. Heiko, please introduce yourself. Well, compared to these two, I'm the complete tool in this uh, quartet here. <laughs> but, uh, uh, my background that is- might, That's uh, probably me, to be fair, Heiko. Let's <laughs> <laughs> meet on eye level. No, but uh, I, I'm always fascinated with all the people in our company who do exactly what you guys are doing. And that's... Oh. oh, I think we might have lost him. Frozen. Uh, I go is frozen. 
So I can tell a, a little bit about Heiko. I'm, I'm not sure I do it quite as much justice. I'm hopeful that he'll be able to come back and join us shortly. Uh, let me just see if I can help him to, to come back. Heiko, are you still there? No. Okay. So Heiko, um, he uh, was a, a, a multinational um, HR leader. Um, with uh, a previous company, um, he uh, decided to um, kill HR was, was kind of the phrase that's been used. And he's been known um, throughout the world uh, for a while as the, as the HR killer. Um, so, uh, but he's not totally against HR. He's, uh, he's friends with uh, the likes of Dave Ulrich. And um, yeah, he's certainly got a lot of um, friends in, 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 in the likes of Apple in HR and things as well. So um, Heiko founded um, Resourceful Humans, uh, which is an organization that really focuses on um, basically sort of organizational uh, design and a networked um, organization. Um, hopefully, he'll come back very soon and we'll be able to, uh, to, to talk a little bit more about some of that stuff. Um, so, and we'll, we'll get a proper introduction from him because I've probably not done him justice at all. Um, so, um, we normally uh, would now go into um, our two lies and one truth. Now, obviously, our regular watchers and listeners will know that this is where we talk about three facts um, about ourselves, um, of which two of which are lies and one is, in fact, a truth. So and then at the end of the show, we'll reveal which one of those three facts about us is actually uh, the one um, that is the truth. So um, we'll start with... Um, we should go ladies first just to change up the order a little bit okay so here are my three things yeah um, i did route 66 on a harley davidson okay i don't ride a motorbike right <laughs> yeah I, I have i love exercise and i've run the london marathon okay so Route 66 on Harley Davidson, that is that is quite a romantic image. Um, you don't ride a bike. When you say bike, do you mean a motorbike? Motorbike. I ride okay. a, yes, I ride a pushbike, but not a motorbike. And uh, you've ran a marathon. Let's see. Okay. Let's bring Heiko back in. See if this works. Heiko. Hello. What an, what an absolute classic. <laughs> we <don't> I, will, <laughs> I will never use a Microsoft PC again. That was the last time. I'm back on my Mac and I feel at home. This is, it's, it's, like, it's like the killer punchline that you say, you I have all the answers. It, and here it is. Boom. <laughs> so let, 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 me, okay. let me finish. Should I finish yeah, my yeah. introduction? Yeah, well, I, I okay. did a little bit for you, but I probably did it no justice <laughs> whatsoever. So please do. <laughs> probably got it all wrong. Sorry, very, Go on. <laughs> very sorry. No, so uh, we, we specialize in uh, self-organization software, which is inspired by the actual principles of companies that have done that for decades. So And, and we base it on real science, so not on the Myers-Briggs test or anything else. Uh, and uh, we've gone one step further and we've created uh, virtual reality games where we help leaders actually experience the difference between a hierarchical world and a networked world. And again, the first game we made, for example, with a nuclear a submarine captain. So certainly he was not in the non-evidence-based space uh, <laughs> because <laughs> where he comes from, you've got to be accurate. So, yeah. And well, the, 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 the claim to fame is that in Germany, they call me the HR killer because... In my previous life, before we founded Resourceful Humans, um, I uh, got rid of my own HR department because I kept asking the question, 
what is the value that we contribute? And at some point, the answer was not much. Um, and we basically got rid of HR in, in service of a self-organizing organization that did not need a central HR department in the classical sense anymore. And we're, we're, we're certainly want to hear more about that later on, Heiko, because it's it's one of the things that I'm really interested in um, as well. So, um, yeah, that was a much better introduction than my own of you. Uh, but I did get in the fact you were a HR killer and a few other bits in there. So it wasn't totally. I, I've done it more often. I've done it more often than you. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we, we just moved on to our, our two lies and one truth. Um, and Helena was telling us, um, well, do you want to say them again, Helena? Just quickly go again. <laughs> so good the first time I can read. Yeah. So um, I did Route 66 and a Harley Davidson. I don't ride a motorbike and I love exercise and I've run the London Marathon. There you go. So that, <laughs> that was that was Helena's. So Patrick, what are yours? Um, I have been a, a pop singer when I was in my early 20s. Okay. Um, I practice judo when I was in my early 20s, and okay. I practiced basketball when I was in my early 30s. Right, okay. Interesting, interesting selection. We'll find out the answers to that later on. Um, Heiko, what are your, uh, your three facts about yourself, of which two will be lies and one will be a truth? Okay, I've uh, driven uh, in a McLaren F1 with the president of Starbucks. I have six kids, and um, everybody in my team refers to me as chief troublemaker. <laughs> the last one probably is true. Um... <laughs> Mine's pathetic now. Can I change mine? <laughs> um, I'll do it. Mine's, mine's quite interesting because mine's a little bit linked to your first ones, um, Heiko. And actually, it's a little bit inspired by you. So um, I have driven a DeLorean car. I have driven a Tesla and I've driven uh, the classic Jaguar E-Type. So those are mine. They're all car themed this time around. I don't know why I like to have themes on what I'm doing. Um, so that's the two lies, one truth. So let's get stuck into um, what HR gets wrong. This is obviously quite a big topic um, and it's quite difficult to know really where to start with this. Um, but this show was, was very much inspired uh, by Patrick actually. And uh, Patrick uh, did a TED talk um, called The Uncomfortable Truth About HR um, and inspired this show very much. So, Patrick, I just wonder if you could tell us a bit more about the TED talk, what that was all about, and just give us set the scene for us. Well, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, the TED talk was inspired by a previous experience in my private life that I referred to in the TED talk. Um, but I also realized that uh, HR could do a lot of damage um, because uh, I saw people getting depressed after they were turned off for a leadership position. For example, um, if the company used uh, a bad tool. Uh, so I saw damage there. Uh, I saw people, coaches that are not trained, that uh, train people when they have a burnout or a depression. So I see a lot of dangerous things happening uh, in HR, and that's when I started investigating, and uh, I started doing that uh, in 2006, actually. Um, so, and, and, and if, if I can answer already the question what HR gets wrong, I think I make the distinction between typical HR management and, and, and uh, development. So HR typically has also a development side. So, for example, in, in HR management, we see things like 
uh, annual appraisal of everybody, giving people an, a score. Um, and actually, since 1996, there has been a big meta-analysis by Kluger and Denisi showing that giving people a score has no impact on productivity whatsoever. So that's silly, but it has a very demotivating effect. Uh, also, the, there's a hype. Um, we copied from the US, uh, pay for performance. And if you look at uh, uh, the data there, the, it's, it's really uh, very problematic. Also, the big pay gaps uh, are based on tournament theory, which is an economic theory. Uh, and also, for example, uh, one of the most striking things is goal setting is a really good way to improve productivity, but it's executed in the wrong way. It's most of the time imposed top-down and then it doesn't work anymore. So, and in development, um, if, if people are trained and we see a lot of pseudoscience, a lot of pseudoscience, uh, uh, typologies, uh, like Myers-Briggs, as Heiko said, but also inside discovery, which are based on Jung. And that's, that's um, so there's still a lot of typologies based on uh, psychoanalysis, uh, like uh, Jungian types, uh, but, but also transactional analysis, uh, etc. And then you have also uh, people are, are not only trained, sometimes with, with the wrong training methods, but they're also coached. And there's a, a, an incredible amount of coaches that are absolutely incompetent. And, uh, and that's terrible because it's dangerous because we, we touch on the psychology of people. So um, we need to be more critical in, in HR. So that's uh, to answer the first big, the, the big line of what, what yeah. in my view HR gets wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean that really sets the scene for us, and I think um, you know there's 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 bits we'll probably go into you know specific detail into um, particular concepts of things that are the you know that are looked at, but it sounds like very much it's the it's the the basis of the science not really correlating to what, what I suppose the outcome is supposed to to be, mm-hmm. um, which I think probably leads quite nicely, um, Helena, in terms of, of your side because obviously you come with the applied um, psychologist side of things. So, in, in your eyes, is that the same sort of issue that, that it's just not based on a lot of HR is not based on on the sort of science of you know the, the brain. Well, I I'm, I know I don't know if all the you know if everything isn't based on the science, but I do think that um, if we understood the way the human brain is set up, um, then we would probably do things very differently in the workplace. Um, and certainly at this time during the pandemic, it's been I've I've actually observed quite a few HR practices being used that really shouldn't be being used um, when people are struggling to make sense of a very difficult world. And, you know, I have had words with HR people um, about this, but they are hell-bent on pursuing their own objectives. And everyone's got an objective to meet. And I think sometimes, um, you know, they need to ask themselves, is this really really doing some good for the people and for the organisation? But... Um, that, that this time, um, I think particularly um, people have needed um, some different interventions some different types of support and not to roll out the same old stuff that would have been done, you know, had there not been a pandemic. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into more detail at this stage, Leon, about what people have, haven't done well at this time <laughs> and some yeah. of the things I have. 
Yeah, I think I, I think in terms of the the some of the, the specifics, I mean, yeah, we would like to talk about those. I, I just really want to keep it uh, initially. I'd like to bring Heiko in because obviously Heiko, from a, a really kind of high viewpoint, has a, a, a sort of slightly um, different viewpoint about HR, should we say? So, um, and and one of the things that obviously you talked about a little bit about what you did, you know, as a previous HR professional in terms of the HR function. So. Broadly speaking, in your eyes, what are the, the the main issues that HR gets wrong? Because I know you've got some some you know some quite strong views on on HR at the moment. And the sad thing is that in the the biggest change projects we're involved in, um, HR is not in it because people are trying to keep them out of the process because they see them as roadblocks, as about naysayers, as obstructors rather than enablers and or challengers, constructive challengers and. For me, I, we just got a comment here um, from Lucy that this is, isn't about HR, it's about leadership. And I think this is exactly um, what uh, Patrick was framing the whole thing with. I think one of the fundamental problems about HR is that we don't go to the very fundamental question of what is the purpose of HR in the organization. I think we have some people who very slavishly follow this um, uh, Dave Ulrich model where they say we have to you know, serve the business and be the business partner. But sometimes that means you're serving people who don't know what they want either. They have no idea about psychology or architecture of organizations. They have problems. They have goals to meet. They have stuff that they need to get done. Um, but if you ask them what to do, they will tell you what they know, right? Um, so the, the question really is, shouldn't we be those critical thinkers in the organization and marry that with the role of being enablers of the best possible way to contribute value? Yeah, and it, that includes all stakeholders. So I think they're the most fundamental problem for me for HR is that we're not clear about our role in the future and now. And every year we have this goddamn discussion around next year is the year of HR, finally with uh, social media, with digital, with, with this and that. Now HR is going to get their seat at the table. But we don't have a clear introspection about what is it that we want to bring to the table, what value can we provi provide and and really truly evidence-based also show to be these translators from what Patrick and, and, and Helena were saying, that we are the guys who understand people and science, but we also need to be the connectors to business value, right? And that's where I fundamentally see a skill gap um, in HR right now. Mm. It's um, just some of the points that you raised there. Um, our last show uh, was, on a, was on the future of HR. Um, we discussed um, really there at length about what HR should be doing, what it should be focused on. Um, and, you know, there was a very much a, a feeling in the HR community, which I, I'm obviously very much a part of, and I'm a big champion of HR, obviously. Um, and that, you know, HR's, um, I suppose, status has, has increased um, as part of the, the, uh, from the pandemic because the, the HR departments have worked well and sort of dealt with that really well. And there's some that haven't um, and not been sort of sure about, you know, what, what they should be doing to handle some of the challenges that the pandemic brought. Um, I suppose one of the things, um, Helena, when we have discussed... Before, but Leon, Leon, I'm yeah, sorry, may, well, may I ask you, what, how would yeah. you describe, what, what, in your words, what is the purpose of HR in your point of view? So I think one of the, in my own opinion right now, or just generally what yeah, I no, think... No, no, yours, be, what you, my if somebody asks you, what do you think the purpose of HR is in an organization? Yeah. I... I so for my eyes, I think if you can make, if HR can make a company a fantastic place to work where people can thrive and have um, 
that we talked quite a lot about ethical leadership. I'm a big believer in that. Um, my own company now, uh, you know, we're, we're looking a lot at things like hybrid working and I really want people to thrive that work for me and my own company. And I feel that's where HR should be. It should be ensuring that they're adding value to the people within the organization. And if you, uh, if you look after your people, my kind of view is, they should then look after the business and the business kind of side should look after itself. If, you, if your biggest asset is human capital, then in my eyes, you've got to look after those people and make sure they can thrive and they can perform to the best that they can do, which is why some of the things like with, with Helena and, and, and things like that, bringing the science side to HR is something that I feel sometimes is lacked. And I see, you know, big, um, I won't mention names of companies, but organizations that sell concepts of ideas of things that they should be doing within their organization. I'm not always necessarily sure what they're based on, whether they're just trying to sell, you know, millions of pounds worth of, you should do this, and it's going to cost you this amount for our advice, you know, or whether actually it's based on something of any sort of worth. And this is why I really like the work in particular that Patrick and Helena do in terms of the science side and the psychology and understanding sort of people's behaviors and things. So in my opinion, that's what HR should be about. That's what I think its purpose should always be. Uh, obviously, there's always going to be legal frameworks and things. They'll have to also make sure that the company navigates and works within you know, that framework as well. But that's what I think the main purpose of HR should be on a personal level. So, um, Helena, Thank I you. was just going to get That's all right. It's cool. I've not normally asked what I think. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so Helena, we, we were talking. I was mentioning about um, obviously the challenges, obviously, of the pandemic in particular. And when we've spoken before, you've talked about, um, you know, the, the, the status of HR has been, been lifted as the idea amongst the HR community. But I think you had a slightly different take on it because you've seen some things in terms of some good things that HR did as part of that, but also some of the bits that HR didn't really do very well in terms of particularly during the pandemic. I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about what, what you meant by that. Um, okay, yes, and there, there are, you know, I've, I've, as I said, earlier there are a number of things I've seen that I've I've thought maybe shouldn't be happening but equally um, I've seen some HR people do some great stuff with their organizations and I've helped uh, and I've worked with them as well this has been a really difficult time for everyone I think and the the best way to answer that question is to really think about um, how the human brain is designed to really resist and avoid uncertainty. It's one of the worst things for the human brain, uncertainty, just not knowing. Even if we know something bad is about to happen, that's better for us than not knowing. And we've been in a state of not knowing over the last 18 months. And when the brain can't make predictions to keep us alive, to help us adjust to our environment, it's plunged into a survival mode. And anything then starts to feel very threatening. So anything that could, in normal circumstances, would have felt fine, uh, the brain becomes hypersensitive to anything um, that has the merest hint of negativity. We have a really negative brain anyway. You know, we're negatively set up to spot the negative over the positive, to spot the threatening over the safe. But in a situation like we've been facing for the last 18 months, um, the brain is in this very heightened state of survival. So, um, so any negative information or anything that could perhaps be construed as negative sticks in the brain. And people have been struggling so much at the moment. And organizations, I don't think, I don't know um, if all of them did. Certainly I saw some that weren't. 
weren't recognizing the fact that people were trying to work while they were at home. And that's not the same as working from home, you know, trying to work while you're at home, where you've when you've got children running around, you've got to keep them educated, entertained, exercised, you've got relatives who are sick or, or dying. Um, you know, it's been a terrible time. Um, and then to then expect people to be put through a performance appraisal system. And I've got into huge trouble with HR people for saying this. You know, I've been saying, don't do this at this time. Why are you doing it? Why put people under additional stress? Um, and on top of that, to use um, a, something called the forced ranking element, where you're having to force people onto a distribution curve, that's just simply exacerbated the situation. And so managers have avoided are completely doing that and they've lumped everybody together and the second thing after uncertainty that the human brain hates is unfairness so people who've really done well and they've gone into the office or they've, they've bust a gut to do that you know to, to put their own lives at risk by working um going into an office or, or having to deal with really difficult things um then aren't rewarded in the way that they need to be rewarded and so unfairness kicks in. And if the brain feels that anything's unfair, it reacts as if it's repellent or disgusting. So you've got these two things going on in the human brain at the moment. And I think we've got to ask ourselves, um, you know, what are we doing to help people um, at this time? You know, let's get through, let's get people through this this horrible time where nobody really knows what's going on and nobody really knows when it's going to end. Let's give them the support they need. And some people have actually done that beautifully, but others have, have just ploughed their own furrow and, you know, try to roll out initiative after initiative, which, which frankly has just felt very overwhelming for people who are just trying to get on and, and do their jobs as best they can. So I'm sorry that's a really long answer to that question. Go on, hi, Kelly. Can I can I ask something? I'm, I'm really I think the one thing that we all struggle with is the sort of topic of performance management that we have all touched upon. And we had a, a comment here from Julie in the in the comments, um, and she says that uh, companies struggle to allow HR leaders to lead the way to describe the problem might not always be HR. I I find that so often. I don't know if that's also your experience that HR leaders feel like we would like to, but we can't, even though we clearly have. The evidence that if you you don't even bring need to bring something new if you just don't do it it's already better, right? Um, and, I, and I think there's such a confusion about clarity of priorities and and progress and transparency on progress versus performance management, which is done poorly. Why do you think we don't manage to get rid of that? I, I'm I'm curious, genuinely curious. Do you want to come back on that? Is it a question to I, me, Heike? Like to, to Patrick and to Helena. I'm, yeah, yeah I, have, I have my opinion on that. So, I'm curious. Uh, Sorry, yeah. Leon. No, that's great. I, it's I cool. Think, I think uh, it's very recognizable also here in, in, in Belgium and the Netherlands, the countries that I work uh, most. Uh, HR has a bad reputation. And I see really a lot of managers... Uh, looking up on HR as, okay, a pain in the neck, but we need to have it because of the legal things, etc. But in part, and, and that's a little bit what I missed in your in your view also, Leon, uh, they're, they're not talking the, the management talk. I think, for example, in, in, the, in science nowadays, if they look at what is a good company, then they say, let's look at three Ps, people, profit, and planet. That, in the past, it was only about profit and, and 
a lot of company owners or leaders said, okay, the only thing I'm paid for is to be profitable. Now we understand that profit is still important. So productivity is very important. And a lot of HR people are only talking about well-being and have a very soft discourse, have a very soft talk about well-being and, 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 and as if everybody is good. No, there are also... Um, bad uh, employees. There are employees with, with hidden agendas. There are employees that don't work well, that, that are, um, um, how do they say this, uh, profiting from others, uh, not working, not putting as much effort in as their colleagues, etc. So we should look at all of these things. Um, and, and I think that HR can contribute also in making a company more profitable, but keeping the balance between productivity and well-being. Um, that that's for me a very important thing. And if you then see that they will have an impact on the people, on their well-being, on their motivation, on their loyalty towards the company, but they will also contribute to the profitability of the company. So, and then maybe if HR could also get a role a role about um, other things like um, for the planet, environment, etc. So about ethical decision ma- making. Uh, but the problem is. HR should get a man- mandate, and even if they are competent, they don't always get the man- mandate because a lot of companies, I'm thinking in the UK, it's even worse. The spread between what CEOs are paid is sometimes very much over the top. It's not as bad as in the USA. With those people, those top managers, they are very competitive. We know that there are more narcissists, that there are more uh, sociopaths at that level. And that's because they feel attracted to these high amounts of pay, these, these enormous so millions of, of, of pounds that they can earn. So they, they don't care about ethics. They don't care about well-being, etc. So for those people who are in charge, HR will, will, stay, will stay a pain in the neck. So uh, the problem is HR will not, in, in many cases, will not be able from the bottom up to change all that because they need a mandate for that. And who is going to give you the mandate? And maybe a company has such a structure that uh, the sharks are attracted to uh, to to trying to be there, and and those people will um, well not not give HR much of a role. I'm, I'm afraid, because that is still a problem. We, we so uh, we need good leadership, and but there is a lot of bad leadership. But but I also I don't see the drive. Like I love the three Ps. You know, like the CEO of Patagonia, Yvon Chinar, you know, he said, whenever we took a good decision for the planet and our business, we made more money and our people were happier. But we don't really, we don't go after that as HR to say, let's dive into that. Let's find the numbers. Let's see what the logic was. Let's present that to the board. Let's maybe show the shark that he can get more blood or find more bait if they go that way. You know, I I don't feel we're we're aggressively going after that mandate. That, that's true. Also, uh, sometimes you, you have to fight for it and, and try to get show that you're competent and, and that you're aware about the importance of profitability, etc. Um, that's for sure. But um, notwithstanding that, uh, for example, if, if you look at the um, the psychopathy checklist, uh, it has it is not being validated in in a lot of companies. It, it, it was with a subgroup of people in a business school. Uh, that 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 they could use it, and and there it showed that uh, four times as many psychopaths are at the top levels. Um, but the, those guys wow. will not allow 
such uh, questionnaires or or or, or, or things to be uh, to be followed up by HR because uh, they uh, they will protect themselves. So sometimes it's very difficult to convince them because it's about power, and that's when when we look have to go back to psychology. You know that we are we have three big meta motives, uh, and that's evolutionary psychology that tells us that we want we want predictability and we want to explain things. But we want we have also agency and competition. We want to move ahead. We want to climb the ladder. We want to earn more money to 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 have a better life, to give our children a better life. And we are also we have also a motive to uh, to affiliate to be affiliated with a group a group membership. But so people who are very agentic, very narcissistic, etc., they will be very competitive. They believe in internal competition, and they will try to to get the best out of it for themselves. And they're not necessarily interested in the company's interest. So we, we have to to realize that these are also things that happen. Uh, it's not that uh, that all human beings are are intrinsically good. No, there are people that are really overly agentic and overly narcissistic and overly in- self-interested. And um, if, they are, if they are over-represented at the top, then it will be very difficult to come with a sometimes totally different, fluffy, platonic, uh, idealistic message like we need to take care of our people and being well-being. That, that's a totally different language that those uh, groups are speaking. I, I think um, one of the things with just um, in my thoughts about the economics, because we talked obviously about the psychology and environment and, and all that sort of stuff. I think obviously if you think about particularly listed companies and shareholders, you know, there are things like, um, you know, index funds and things like that for, for green technologies. There are shareholders. Now, I, I do believe that the, you know, the generation it why that's coming through and, and and some of the things millennials even have a slightly different take on on it but i think if you th- probably going back to baby boomers and beyond i don't want to bring this a generational thing but like it's always been about you know profit and adding value to shareholders which has normally been about the actual numbers um i, I don't know whether it, in my eyes I, f- I feel like some of that potential might just is almost like an economic issue and, and like balancing that but it is hard sometimes we, we had a show on mental health and um, Paul McGregor quite clearly showed that every sort of, I think it was every pound that you spend or something on mental health uh, awareness and, and well-being was like, you know, gives the company back something like five or six pounds. So the payoff is huge, yet still loads of companies don't really look into mental health and, and well-being in the same sort of way that, that he thinks they should. Um, I want to I rewind a little bit because, Helena, you said something that... Um, that got me a little bit, it was a bit, bit contradictory to what I thought you were going to say, because you said um, about the brain and, and uncertainty. And then you also said about obviously when HR departments are, are done well and, and done bad. It's kind of seen generally in the HR community, I don't want to be a spokesperson for folks, I'm not, um, but that those HR departments that changed and adapted and were agile were seen as kind of the ones that handled it really, really well and changed what they were doing in terms of workforce. But you said about sort of um, the brain struggling with obviously that sort of change and uncertainty. So I just want to understand, and, and can you clarify sort of what you mean in, in, in yeah, terms the, of that? The, the human, so the human brain, the, the, the really the, the big thing it struggles with uh, above anything else is not knowing. Um, and so an uncertain world is very difficult for the brain to make sense of because it sits in darkness. It's sitting in our skull and it relies on sense data to come in. And it has to rely on um, this data and then tell, to tell us 
what to do about what's coming in. So it has to make these rapid predictions because there's a neural lag between the receipt and then the um, and then telling us what to do. So it predicts all the time, and this, these predictions are happening rapidly all all the, uh, around us. You know, and, and most of the time we get it right. You know, if you drink water, um, you immediately feel that your thirst has been quenched. But actually, it can't possibly have been quenched because it takes about 20 minutes for water to reach your tissues. But the brain quickly tells us your, th- th- your thirst has been quenched. In this world where we have, um, we're struggling with uncertainty, the, um, the brain really finds anything negative uh, very difficult because it's in this state of heightened you know, um, awareness and it's trying to, because it's not being able to predict. So it's going into survival mode. And at that time, the the best thing HR um, functions got to people was just dealing with the here and now, helping people understand that it's okay to not feel okay, um, giving them some um, reassurance um, about the support they could get. Not necessarily, you know, the, the companies that were rolling out health and well-being things, I don't think that worked much either, but it was the here and now stuff. And that's what agility is all about. It's about adapting really quickly to what your people need. Um, and, you know, and if the, if HR stays, um, I don't think an HR function should exist. I think if you're going to have an HR person, put them in the business, working with the business, okay, okay helping them with the business. No, it should be about the business. And, you know, yes, we can talk about profitability not mattering. Of course it matters. You know, yes, you can talk about the planet. That matters too. But no company is there to lose money. So, you know, we've we've got to, you know, just, you know, we have to just face the facts. But, of course, if you've got the right people advising and guiding and helping people be the best they can be, then, of course, the profitability is going to come. You know, and people will genuinely love what they do because they're getting the right support and they'll feel that the person helping them understands what they really need. So that's I hope that's answered your question, Leon, because, you know, uncertainty is the big problem for all of us. I think we don't know we that. And that's why people made very early decisions. People were very quick to say we can work from home now. You know, we like to feel in control because we hate not knowing. And. You know, we've just got to accept the fact that this is a really tough time. I mean, just on the, on that point, sorry, in terms of the uh, HR being in the business and not not having a function. Um, interesting from, how, you know, sort of like top down strategic stuff. I know the top down doesn't necessarily work very well, but how you have an over, you know, big picture view about what the business, the culture, the behaviours you might want to instill within the business would be in that scenario. But is that not very much what a HR business partner does? They work with their customer base, and they they work with them from a from a business perspective in terms of trying to get the best out of that that sort of portion. Is, is so you you don't mean like a HR business partner in that sense? Well, the problem with HR, but when business partners really do that, they do it well. I don't see many many who do it well, but I have seen some, um, and they're a joy to work with because they understand exactly what the business needs. So and they have this very close relationship. The problem with a lot of HR business partners is they're rolling out programs that's come from a centralized function. And they're told by the, you know, the mothership to go out and roll out these functions with the business. And they're not doing it for the business. They're doing it because HR needs a job to do. And that's, that's the difficulty. Um, So I, I think that, you know, it's, I, I honestly think the best HR people I've ever worked with have worked in business first. They understand they haven't come straight out of university 
with psychology degrees or whatever it is. They've worked in the business. They go into HR because they understand what the business needs from them to help them. Can I challenge? Lucy, Lucy's asked who trains the manager. Well, you know, if um, if there is somebody in the business, then, um, you know, that person can help advise and, and guide. But that has to be the right person as well. Go on, Heiko. What are you going to say? If we if we apply Patrick's thinking, which he so well outlines in his book and in his TED Talk, and we look at it evidence-based and skeptically, then we haven't contributed a whole lot as HR. All, all the approaches to negate or to enable... Um, the, the, the problems that you, you talked about, which is, you know, we, we can't predict far into the future and we don't deal well with uncertainty. And then you have me methods like agile coming up, which basically try to cut things into smaller pieces, which are more near term. So you can more grasp with a changing environment. They don't come from us. They don't come from HR. They come out of the business. They come from the people who own the problem. All right. We, we, we don't we haven't even I'm not a fan of holacracy, but at least it's an approach. It doesn't come from HR either. You know. We don't even come with a scenario, and that's why I, I, Sarah here in, in the comments says, this is why HR needs a place on the board so it can influence and bring change. And I think it's the opposite way. We need to bring answers to the table so they invite us to be at the table and say, stay here, you provide value. But we don't. Evidence-based, we don't provide any frameworks that address exactly that beyond talking fluffy terms. Or, 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 or offer different perspectives or get people to think differently. You know, it's about challenging thinking. Agility needs, uh, uh, you know, an adaptability of thought and a speed of, of thought and, and the ability to see things from different perspectives. And but also a framework. And fra yeah, well, yes, if you like a framework. But we, we need to help people see the world through different lenses. And then you get this lovely agile brain working and, and you can then adapt more quickly. But, you, you know, but just following uh, you know, one path is not good for us anyway. We, we end up with very strong synapses in one area, but we lose others along the way. So our brain shrinks. My problem is what Patrick just I, said, that I think with the, what the approach that you just took, um, we, we don't reach the CEO. Like, think from a different perspective, look through a different lens. They go, what do you want from me, right? We need to be the ones who say, if you think from a different perspective, in this framework, we can provide you this value in this 3P or whatever model we have, but we, we don't have the courage to go and make our case. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure everyone yeah. would necessarily agree I, with that. I've, I've spoken to a lot of HR leaders that have very much done that. I've spoken to a lot of HR um, or HR leaders CHROs where CEOs are very much leaning on them and very much leaning on them in this time in terms of yeah. how they're going to, you know, really we're be hearing, forward. But we're hearing business. too little of them, of the mm. positive examples yeah. we hear too little. Go can, I, can I go in there? Yeah. I think, in my view, you still need a knowledge center. Absolutely. And that knowledge center should be run by good psychologists. And, and that, that word good is also very important because there's a lot of crap in psychology. Let's face it. It has faced a crisis. It, it lacks the the meta uh, theory. It doesn't turn. It doesn't refer often to bi our biology. It doesn't uh, uh, often refer to our evolutionary past. And so, so we need this uh, knowledge center. And um, I often coach CEOs and I challenge them, and they thank me afterwards for for challenging them. I'm, I'm working in the automotive industry with the CEO now, and he just says, "Okay, I would like to continue with you because." 
you 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 give me another perspective just by challenging me. So I, I go in there and I say, I think you're wrong there because of this and this and this. And then I talk to him about the, about the evidence and why things don't work. For example, one example was that he says, uh, why don't uh, do people speak up to me uh, if they don't agree? And then I had him to explain that people are basically afraid of hierarchy, etc. And especially if he behaved like he behaved sometimes, being angry, etc. Um, so I, I really plead for a good knowledge center that is that has critical thinking skills that goes back to the basics of psychology of our biology of who we are as a social animal. And then uh, I, I refer to what Helena says. Uh, I go back to these three meta motives, and Helena touched one of them. So it's called in, in most psychologists called making sense of the world. People basically want to explain and predict the world. So and their uncertainty is one thing. But also in the pandemic, we saw that there was a uh, that we are a social animal and that people miss social contact. And that I saw in at least in Belgium, I saw a lot of HR departments there doing a very very good job because they, then they consulted the science, then they were trying to find out how can we improve uh, the social connection between people, even if people have to work from home, etc. So it's not that it's not feasible. Uh, and, and if you just put people, uh, HR, business partners in the business, um, the knowledge is shattered. They won't have time to look up, up data in, in the science basis, etc. So I, I plead the other way around. I, I think that every HR department should at least have one person who can consult the academic literature or, and that can critically appraise it and then get back this information to their colleagues and to the HR people. And like Lucy said, somebody needs to train them. And yes, managers don't have the answers because most leaders are not psychologists that don't have that knowledge. And if you can offer them good knowledge, good scientific knowledge, um, well, why, shouldn't, why, why couldn't they be open to it? Of course, some people are not open to it. Um, but then we should get rid of those narcissists and, and sociopaths, of course. That's another issue. But I so, think uh, there, there is a good role um, for, for HR still there. But, but then they need to go back to uh, uh, rely on science, uh, critically appraise science, because, that, as I said, the problem is in psychology, there's uh, a lot of crap, uh, a lot of problems, uh, a lot of problematic mini theories that are completely useless and senseless and we see quite a lot uh, in hr uh, i'm afraid typologies color typologies uh, appraisal scores uh, <laughs> force distribution uh, incredible it still exists um, yeah so uh, we, we really need to rethink uh, and 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 just not copy what what is the latest type or what has been done for decades but has been done uh, Wrongly, or, or just is, is basically wrong. But Patrick and Helena, what would you give a, a CHRO currently listening to us? And what, what advice would we give them to say, go to your CEO and say, stop performance management because? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. We can what do would that. you say? What would, what, would, what would be our main argument? Well, I, I think, uh, I think oh, go on, Patrick, you go first. Uh, I've summed them up. What are the arguments? I think I have nine arguments against it. But first of all, it, it doesn't help for productivity or for motivation. Not at all. Secondly, annually, so much time and energy is spent. And most managers don't like it. Employees don't like it. And uh, so uh, the, the, the third thing is that you will always disappoint people because on average, 40, uh, 84% thinks they're in the 20% best uh, performers. 
that's of course a huge problem uh, and that can't work so basically it's totally wrong that, that they they try to um, mix up lots of things legal things keeping a dossier on people who don't work very well it's to 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 keep the low performers uh, in cheek etc in 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 control etc so there's a lot of arguments so we should just stop doing that uh, especially the score and you can have other things talk to people regularly that that's very fine uh, but but not such a formal formal thing which is a waste of money time motivation productivity and and a lot of companies are are stopping that eh? Deloitte stopped it Microsoft stopped it so we uh, finally after thirty years I would say almost thirty years they finally finally some have have seen the light and and stopped doing that can I can I um ask a question back to um, Helena and Heiko who obviously kind of you both have sort of stipulated you don't really necessarily feel that HR as a function needs to exist but could be part of that one of the things that I always think about with that is where what about things like manager capability and leadership development because if Patrick's talking about the an, an extra amount of um, psychopaths in, in, in leadership positions and, and things like that so where are people that are going to sort of edge out those managers? Because if the managers are the ones that are obviously going to make a difference. So how how does that, in your mind, how, how would that work without having sort of experts in that sort of space? Um, my, well, go on, Heike. You go, you go no, no, Helena, you, you've lady, ladies um, first. My experience, I think, um, I don't, I'm not sure HR is the right, I don't think a body of people sitting there should be the judge and jury for, for other people like that. I just think it's a very dangerous game. And I don't think the same function, by the way, that hires people should then be the also the same function that fires people and then the same function that develops people because it's a huge conflict of interest. I think you need your legal stuff. Absolutely, you need to stay on the right side of the law. You need your development stuff. But you can bring in that. That, that could be, uh, you know, something that you can bring in uh, you'll get your fresh perspectives. You'll get your science if you bring in the right people. You don't need to have it sitting in a business um, the way it does. I, I think it can be very, uh, you know, it, it's a very cumbersome function as well. And a lot of people I know because I worked in a, in a big HR de- department um, and I worked all over the world. And, and you know, I often have people saying to me, how, why, is your, why is HR so big? And I actually couldn't answer the question because I didn't know why it was so big. Uh, so I do think we've got to, I think it's about the way organisations are set up, the way organisations are set up to hire, to reward, to develop. The structure is still very old fashioned. And I think if we really looked at what we need the business to do and then structure around that, we would probably find that there are different, um, more organic, creative structures that we could put um, into businesses without having to follow this very traditional route um i don't know i mean i I don't there are there is no easy answer to this because we you know as human beings as well we do i mean psychopathy is one of the things i have researched um with the with the checklist so um i know that there are some you know people do need to be um kept in check sometimes certain behaviors do need to be um to be you know eradicated but it's very it's very difficult to if that person sits at the top, it's very difficult to say to CEO, "You're, you know, you're a psychopath," <laughs> or you're. So, and sometimes they have to be a little bit psychopathic because they have to make tough decisions without 
you know, sometimes there has to be a bit of a, a disconnect. I don't know. I mean, there are so many arguments about uh, for this. Um, Lucy's asked what the right structure is then. And that's a really good question, because I think it really depends on the business, the way the business is growing. Um, you know, startups will have a different structure, will then have to change structure again when they start growing. I think there needs to be a constant review of how businesses are set up. That's my view. One of the things I would say on that, I mean, the Ulrich model, which he introduced tens of years ago now, which is now sort of being really reviewed and in a lot of places being completely changed and scrapped or you know definitely tweaked. I mean, the, the original model that he gave is, has not been used anywhere, but the HR business partner concept is being used nearly everywhere. That is very much the same sort of thing, though, in terms of having people obviously within the business, but then having your specialists and experts in a different sort of space. And that's generally where HR's obviously gone, right? So, yeah, Leon, can I, can I go on? I, go on. I, you know, we, we had a lot of re, like badge engineering there, which didn't do anything. You know, the personnel people became the HR business partners. Now they're becoming the agile coaches, but they had two more trainings, but that's it. You know, and I think that's where it goes into what Patrick was saying a real business acumen, really fundamental understandings of the intersection of academics, psychology, and, and business, that, that's where HR can add value. And to ask, to answer Lucy's question, you know, I'm a big advocate of the network enterprise. So that, that model that WL Gore, for example, proposes, which doesn't say that the managers add the value, but the people at the edge who meet the customer, they provide the value. And whatever structure we need to create, so it's insanely simple for them to create that value needs to be enabled in a constant re-engineering, re rethinking. Re-engineering is already thinking like a machine. You, know, you think as, a, as an organism, you should determine how your business needs to be structured so you can provide value to the client, but they need to be guardrails, right? Otherwise, we end like Enron and we, we would go completely cancerous or something like this. So th there needs to be an ethical core, but I don't believe that we need a police function or a nanny function for this. What we do need is the competency and the leadership behavior that shows which kind of behavior is sanctioned and which kind of behavior is promoted. And I think this is where it goes back to what Patrick was saying also to a board level design that right now we're hiring people into these positions who we currently put Elon Musk out there as a god, certainly not a great people manager, right? But he pushes his stuff through because his agenda is beyond people. It's intergalactic, right? I bet you he could do it the same way if he thought about people more and could do it even better without a turnover rate of, I don't know, whatever kind of churn he has, 40% of Tesla or something like that is insane, right? But he misses probably someone like Patrick who sometimes comes to him and says, dude, what you're doing is completely idiotic. But what I advocate really is that there is a better structure and there are companies that have proven that this network approach is superior to the hierarchy, but it has very different rules and very different prerequisites that an HR would need to understand or prototype in its own function. When we're talking about performance management, why don't we stop in our own function and say, you know what, we'll prove to you we have more time, develop our people better, have a better satisfaction scores, less churn, um, because we stop performance management. Would you like that in your function? Hell yeah. If, if one of the things, because mm -hmm. I'm very conscious of time, uh, and where, where we're up to now, because we are coming up close to our hour. Um, if there was one specific thing that you think HR should stop straight away, and, and Heiko, I think I maybe know where you are at with that. Um, and Helena, assuming that 
just go with this that you think HR function should exist, but there's certain things obviously within the HR function that they do. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've seen some really good, I've seen some really good HR. I've, I've worked with some, I work with some really good HR people. Yeah. But I think those are the people who've shown a real, who've shown real business acumen, who understand what's happening. And they are always thinking ahead of how to help people. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's no question. I think, you know, ideal, ideally, um, I, I just see, it, it comes back to structure and rewards and how it's all set up. And I think, okay. you know, if it's set up to work, then it works. So my, my question was, was um, if there's one thing that HR should drop, as in like should just stop straight away, it could be a specific thing. It could be, I know, for example, Patrick, you talked in your TED talk about um, Blanchard's um, situational leadership, and there's been various different things that have kind of come out from there. So if there's one thing you think that should be dropped, what, what would it be? If we can kind of go around the panel, but like a really succinct answer, because we're, we're pushed for time. Should we start with well, you, I'm, Elena? I'm not going to talk about the, the, the different models, but mm. to I would say... HR and, and the company as a whole should really get rid of all systems and all side things steering towards internal competition. The, the okay. things that, that promote internal com competition are really very problematic. And that, that's a lot of things, you know, the performance appraisal, uh, employee of the month thing, um, pay for performance, uh, big pay gaps to when you get to the C level, etc. There is a lot of stuff that people have com uh, copied from the USA, and that's in fact uh, based on a very individualistic culture and very competitive. But the the key is in collaboration for companies. Yeah, it's really interesting from my yeah. side because um, I'm at the point of, of hiring within my company. Obviously, the company is uh, we founded in January, and I don't want that into, into competition thing. And it's something that's very rife in the recruitment sector. My sector is always everywhere, right? So of course, I want people to be individually compensated and, and you know and rewarded for for great performance. Um, but we, you know, one of the things I'm going to do is an, an annual. Um, company bonus based on you know sort of turnover and things that which is all about actually the togetherness and we're all trying to achieve the same sort of aim and not going down that um, intra-competitive kind of nature that most recruitment companies that I see in it's in, in our sector they definitely go down um Helena do you want to come back with with um, yours you go first Heiko because I'm thinking okay. about what I'm saying you're thinking yours Heiko I, I would drop that notion of you need to exist. Like, how would you run the function if you thought, how could we do this better without us having to be here? Which is obviously very much what you did in your last HR role before you set up Resourceful Humans. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and I think it's a, I'm always amazed how many good HR leaders buy into that because they have the, they're in this hamster wheel of running a marathon at sprint speed without any goal, right? It's always, pressure, pressure, pressure on them and, and deliver, deliver. And you're the scapegoat on top. If you actually give them an end goal and you say, can you manage? And it's an elusive goal. It's not that you have to eliminate the HR function. That's not the point. The point is get into the mindset of trying to get this organization to a point to rethink everything for the best possible contribution. And if that's without you, that's, that's the easiest, right? Because they don't need to go through an intermediary, but they can do it directly. And that gets you into a mode where you design very different processes, services, and solutions for your portfolio that the business will react to differently and see you in a different light. Okay, interesting. 
Have, have you got an answer now, Helena? Yeah, well, I'm just thinking, I'm just picking up what Patrick said about getting rid of intra, intra, whatever it is, competition. I actually yeah. think human beings can't not be competitive. I think we're designed, we're animals with very big brains and we can't not be competitive, but it's how you oh, that's structure the role. It's but how you, you don't need to stimulate that extra. That's what I meant. Well, I think we've got to, it's all about, you know, how the rewards are set up and what we're, what we're rewarding. And I think we, we need something to motivate, we need to have something that keeps us going. We like that, that anticipation of a reward is what releases a chemical in our brain that keeps our brain going and it fuels our muscles. So without that, that, we, that doesn't work. So we do need that anticipation of a reward. But if I was to answer your question, Leon, uh, rather than stop, I would just say, you know, let's say that, you know, and, and this is this is happening in some cases, but I would always ask before anything is rolled out to a business uh, from, from a function, an HR function, is whose benefit is this really for? Why are we doing this? What purpose is it serving? And are we doing what's really right for the business? And are we really helping people feel the best they can feel at this time? And, if and Helena, do you mean do you mean the business or the customer? The, well, the business supports the customer, so the business is there to you know to deal with to deal with the customer. But you've got you know HR's role is to support the business to support the customer. So are you you don't believe that? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think it's you know, it's debated a lot at the moment. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, are we doing what's right for? the business we're in, for the company we work for, the firm we work for, and are we helping people feel the best they can be given what's going on around us at this time? And if the world changes again, then we need to change with it. And I think that's the best we can do, um, you know, without coming out with, a, we search for answers all the time and quick fixes. There is no such thing sometimes. And we've just got to do the best we can do, um, you know, in a situation that we perhaps didn't plan for. Okay. You, you know what? You know what I like, and I can say one thing. Thirty seconds. Yeah, go on. That, Quick one. Since, since we, we had we had to do go through what you went through, Leon, with more people, I think sometimes it's in the simple matter of giving people the choice of what system they want to be in. Like we have a peer reward system where it's not top down, but people recognize each other, and some come out on top, right? But it's fine because the people chose that system. It's transparent. They get they get to make the system, and that's why they own it, and they're fine with it, right? And it, it doesn't hurt anybody yeah. because. It's dynamically chosen by the people. We love feeling that we have a choice because it feels that we're in control of our own lives. So even if it's the appearance of choice or the illusion of choice, choice is choice. And so, you know, absolutely. I think it's really important that people feel that they have something to do with their own working lives. Well, it's been uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been thoroughly enjoyable hearing you guys um, talk about things. So um, we need to start to, to look to wrap up. And of course, one of the things we have to do is we've got to find out which of your three facts is actually the truth. So um, we'll, we'll go in the order. So we started, if I remember rightly, with you, Helena, I think, did we? Yes. I remember now. It was only an hour yeah. ago. <laughs> Then me, then me again, then Heiko. <laughs> um, so I said I did Route 66 on a Harley. I don't ride a motorbike and I have run the London Marathon. And it's true that I did. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, let, let us guess. Let us guess. Yeah, yeah, let us guess. Yeah. Go on. Right. So go on, Heiko. What do you think? What was the middle one again? The second? What was that? I don't ride a motorbike. Yeah, that's a lie. 
Do you ride a motorbike? Yeah, I do ride a motorbike. You think I do ride a motorbike? Patrick? I hope for Helena, the first one is uh, the truth. Oh, that's a cool one. Truth 66. Yeah, that, that's really <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I hope that's the truth yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I think probably the truth is that... Is that it true? Of running into the marathon. That yeah, one, I have two truths. Two, two truth. oh, oh, I have two truths, one lie. I have two truths, one lie. That's why I said the lie. We'll change two truths, one lie. That's what we're we'll changing. We're switching it. We'll keep, okay, yeah, keep just lie then. Can you we have to line? change the rules, Elena. We have to change Sorry, the rules. I can change this, the rules like it was going to be in this show that everything was going to be wiped away, start all again. It was going to be the show for sure. Okay, so there's only one line here. Okay, so the one line. Okay. So what's, what's the line, Elena? You, you have not ridden a motorcycle. That's a lie. I don't, ride, I don't ride a motorcycle. That's true. I don't ride a motorcycle. Okay. I have done Route 66. Oh, <laughs> so the lie is the marathon. I have another yeah. one. Ah. And I never ah. will. <laughs> ah, You're there we good. go. You're good. We found the lie. We found the lie. Who was next? I can't remember. I can. It was, it was, was it me. Patrick? Uh, Patrick. Yeah. Patrick, Patrick, go ahead. Pop singer. I said, uh, but I have uh, two lies and one truth because you announced it like that. Yes, in the that's exactly right. what yeah. the look just we, we, I, even we on fucked, the slide. We fucked it up. We got it right now. We fucked it up. cause to listen. I said I was a pop singer in my 20s. I practiced judo and I played basketball. I, I, I'm just going to say I think the truth is, is judo. What about you guys? I think he was a pop singer. I think you're a pop singer. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Actually, I, was a, I want it to be true. Wow. <laughs> I was a pop singer. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no I participated in a national contest uh, when I was uh, like 19 or 20 years old, yes. Oh, That's wow. Two. And the oh, other nice. ones are, are lies. I, I, but I first had two truths. I practiced karate, not judo. So, yeah. Ah, yeah. It's always but I'm too small to play basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've not, I've not met you, but I, I don't know. I just didn't think you were very tall. And I don't know why I got that impression. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. So, Heiko, yours. And I, and I only have one lie. Yeah? So, mine was right, I've been one in a, okay. a McLaren F1 sports car with the president of Starbucks in Seattle. I have six kids, and my, my uh, colleagues refer to me as chief troublemaker instead of CEO. So, I'll let, I'll let the other two go one first. lie. And one lie. One lie, six kids. Patrick? I would say so too, but of course, if he had two wives uh, or three wives, it's not a problem to have six kids. See, I know you a little bit better than these two, Heike, but I have no idea either. Um, so what was the last one again? That my, my colleagues call me chief troublemaker instead of CEO. No, that's truth. I think the first one's really specific, so that's probably true. But I know you've, I know you've got a few kids, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'll make it sure easier. Go, so. go, oh, go ahead. I'm going to go the same as the other two with the kids. <laughs> no, but really, the, 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 the people here have no idea what they should call me. So Chief Troublemaker is just one of the many titles they try to fit <laughs> on me. I, I have actually been in, a, in, because I do this show, Leaders in Cars Getting Coffee, with yeah, interesting yeah. leaders. So I have been in Seattle uh, with... With Howard and been in a McLaren F1 driving to the Pikes Fish Market and in a McLaren cool. F1. Uh, yeah, so um, I have uh, six kids. Uh, so the, the lie is 
I, they don't call me chief troublemaker. I do have six. Oh kids. wow! Okay, yeah. Ah. And, and, pa and Patrick was spot on. There are three moms, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I, I definitely. That's a whole other podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, right, I'll just finish with mine quickly. So um, I've driven a DeLorean. So um, Heiko's got a DeLorean in his office, which is cool. Um, I, I should have put that in my list. <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I've got a picture with me in it, actually. Um, so um, I've driven a Tesla and I've driven the old iconic Jag E-Type. One and lie, obviously right? Obviously with my, no, one, one truth. It's two lies, one, one truth. truth. Only one truth. Two uh, lies, one truth. Okay. <laughs> the Jaguar E-Type is true. I think so too. British. You've, you've, driven, you've, you've driven with me in my Tesla, no? No, but I wasn't driving, was I? Oh, you were not. Okay, you actually drove. Shotgun is not driving. Okay, <laughs> yeah. then, then I would say the Jaguar one is the lie. Yeah, that's right. No, the, the Jaguar one is the truth. The truth. Yeah, so yeah, the Jaggy type is the truth. Uh, and what yes. a magnificent yeah. car that is. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for that, guys. Obviously, we've uh, we've run well over, uh, which is becoming a bit of a every single month this is happening now but it's cool uh, it's always good to get in the, in the conversation so um but no thank you uh the three of you for for joining us and uh, thank you all for um getting involved out there and watching along with us and um, of course this will be remain on youtube so i'm sure people will be watching it beyond and watching a replay of this um and we're also obviously as a podcast as well so the audio recording will go up in the podcast platforms and we'll be ready probably at some point early on next week um so yeah i hope you enjoyed the show the next show is going to be on the 8th of september and we're going to be discussing what makes a great business leader very interesting after today's show as well so thank you and all for patrick's tuning in book by patrick's book by patrick's book and <laughs> helena's good. book and, and yeah. helena's i have no book buy their books because yeah. i have no book play our game read their books, yeah. read their books. <laughs> thank you all cheerio thank you leon bye bye, bye. okay cheerio bye bye Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this show and do check out our other episodes. If you'd like to get involved in the live audience, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the notification so you know when those live shows are. If you're a HR professional looking for recruitment or career support, please check out our website for further information, hrrecruitmentsolutions.com. <laughs>